To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, I got a new episode of Eastman's Elevated for you. Man, this November's just been a blur for me. Um, just getting back from my Montana rut hunt, uh, just a super hunt uh, with family, and then for myself, uh, personally, able to arrow a really nice buck. And and then I fly out today for a uh, Midwest whitetail hunt. I'm headed to Ohio for a, a week of sitting in a tree stand, seeing if I can outsmart one of those big bruisers. So um, just getting this episode out to you guys and, and uh, just keep recording and, and keep getting out good content. So my guest today is Eastman's own Scott Reekers. I've had Scott on the podcast before. I really get along with him well. Uh, we're just like-minded hunters. Uh, he does a lot of backpack hunting and then um, he'll hunt with a, a bow and then hunt with a rifle. And so we talk about his season and, and the trials and tribulations he's been through and successes he's had and so just a great, authentic conversation. Uh, we get into some of our pet peeves in the hunting industry and in hunting. Um, so, so just a really good conversation with a couple passionate hunters. So uh, you guys will enjoy today's episode. Our sponsor for today's show is Bloodsport Arrows. Bloodsport's just building uh, great arrows. They have great components, uh, a high tolerance as far as, as weight, and then as a, a great straightness tolerance as well. Uh, the arrows are, are really flying good out of my bow. Um, and then they also build uh, great broadheads. I've really been psyched with their broadheads. Uh, they build this uh, Grave Digger, which is a hybrid between a mechanical and a fixed. It's got an inch fixed blade, and then it's got a mechanical that opens up to, I believe, inch and three quarters. Just a devastating broadhead. It's so aerodynamic and flies so well, but then just does so much damage You know, when you hit an animal. And, and when you hit them right... Uh, with any broadhead, they're going to die. But if you if you get a shot that's that's less than desirable, you know those grave diggers they have such a big cutting surface. They they do so much damage that you've got a really good shot at getting them with a, a less than perfect hit. And and I just and I love their expandables too. They've got a two blade inch and three quarter expandable. It is the most aerodynamic broadhead on the market. Uh, it, it absolutely has hardly any wind drift. It flies like a field point. Um, so I just been really psyched with their broadheads, really psyched with their arrows. Uh, they're just, they're just building great products for the market. So make sure to check them out. Bloodsport arrows, um, over there at Eastman's. We've all uh, been working hard, I know. Um, I'm going to get back over to the office and record some podcasts here. I, I just released one with Todd Helms. That was a good conversation. Releasing this one with Scott Reekers. But I, I really want to get over there and catch up with Brandon Mason. Had a great conversation with him the other day. And catch up to Dan Picar and talk about his season. And then have uh, Guy Eastman back on. I always have really good conversations with Guy um, all next level hunting, just vintage Eastman's elevated and, and then catch up with Ike as well. And, and, uh, just hear how those guys' season, uh, has gone. I've been following along on social media and I get a text every now and again, but, uh, want to get back over to the office here in the next couple weeks and, and try to record some with those guys. So looking forward to that. Uh, we got some, some great, uh, issues coming out in the magazine. Um, again, make sure to check out that gear guide we coming, we got coming out. 
Uh, it's just a great gift for anybody that that loves hunting. You know, both subscriptions. Uh, we've got all our logo gear, which I'm really psyched on. The hats and shirts and sweatshirts. Um, they do a great job of coming out with uh, new designs that that really fit the Western hunter. And then along with that, you know, we got books and DVDs and and a bunch of cool stuff in there. So make sure to be on the lookout for that. Uh, with that, let's get this thing rolling. So new episode of Eastman's Elevated. Me and Scott Reekers. Here we go. Okay, so I'm here with Eastman Scott Reekers. Um, Scott helps out a lot. He does a lot of the behind the scenes for the podcast. So I figured it'd be good to put the pressure on you, Scott, and put you in front of the mic for a day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can handle that. I, uh, well, and, and you know this about me, but in a former life, I actually had a mic in front of me a lot. Um, I shouldn't even call it a former life because I still do it a lot, but I, I was a full-time youth pastor, and now I do a lot of collegiate ministry, so I speak in front of people. So the mic doesn't scare me. It's when I get surprised with the mic in front of me that I get, get a little antsy. Yeah, you do really good with the mic in front of you, the camera. I've seen your Facebook Live, but man, just thanks a bunch for all you do for the podcast. Um, you're just great to work with, and you're you're always looking out for our best interests. And like I say, you do a lot of the work behind the scenes that nobody sees to make sure we get out this podcast each and every week. So thanks a bunch, man. I really appreciate it. Well, and I appreciate it. It's been it's been a been a fun ride, and we've uh, you know I know you got to talk yesterday with um, Brandon. We've had some pretty cool growth and opportunities coming with this podcast and so i'm really excited to see what we're going to do in the next six to eight months with this thing it's going to be a it's going to be a pretty sweet deal to just to see this thing grow and what we can what we can do with it and you know the one thing i've been impressed with um constantly you know we both we both see a lot of the messages that come through for eastman's elevated and you know, you you spend a lot of time responding to guys, but the the best part about this is seeing that, you know, we're following that mission of making hunters better hunters, and seeing uh, seeing guys actually get to say that that's what they're seeing from the podcast and enjoying from the podcast. That makes a huge difference and makes what we're doing um, just all the more fun. Oh, it sure does. Yeah, it makes everything worthwhile. And um, yeah, getting those messages and seeing hunters that are successful and hunters that are gaining information from the podcast, I I just feel like we're hitting our stride and we're touching on the right topics, Western hunting. Yes. And, you know, there's just um, – there's so much to it, and there's so much, so many details, and then there's there's so many different ways to be successful that it's good to get on different personalities, and it seems like you just have really good conversations when you when you get on with this open format and just get talking hunting. Mm-hmm. And what's what's fun is you like there's so many different styles. I mean, you know, Brandon and I work together a lot, and we hunt together a lot. And one of the things we talked about is just some different styles just inside our, our office. You know, different guys hunt in different ways. Um, I mean, you and I would probably be self-described backpack hunters as kind of our bread and butter. Um, but there are other guys like, you know, that I would describe as run and gun, man, find just volume, 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 volume of animals, not necessarily just inch, inch and comb through. And both can be effective. You know, it's um, it's one of those one of those things that there are just so many different styles with an open conversation, you know, and sometimes comparing, contrasting, or looking at, you know, just the differences and what you can, what you can see and learn and do from, um, you know, different hunters who've grown, uh, grown and learned lessons that you've never had the opportunity to, uh, makes a huge difference with your, with your success in the field. 
Oh man, you're you're so right. And and everybody has different styles. Even if we both like to spot and stalk, we just have different ways we go about it and different ways that that we still hunt to our vantage points or, you know, whether we're working from a moving vantage point or we find, you know, the dominant vantage point in a drainage mm-hmm. to look from and how long we sit there. But yeah, everybody's tactics differ and like I I like uh, Dan Picard too. You know, he's an animal and he's always into critters and and it kills mm-hmm. a bunch with his bow but talking to him you know he doesn't do a whole lot of backpack hunting and not that he can or he doesn't but he just finds critters and he uses his motorbike a bunch in idaho um you know he he glasses a bunch from from roadways and different places and he's always into good critters but it's just how funny how like you say you can you can both have the same passion for bow hunting and the same passion for spot and stock hunting but different ways you go about it and they're both successful and some of it is like you find out what you're good at um over the course of time you learn and grow and you know i've i've learned that you know as as add as i am bouncing all over the place you know you look at my desktop and and the computer's going i've got like four different projects usually open at a time and so that's just kind of one of the ways that i manage my you know going between some different things just have to make sure i you know, meet the deadline. But one of the things I discovered through mule deer hunting was that, man, sit your butt down in glass. I started finding big deer once I actually started doing that on a regular basis. And I have to force myself to do it because that's not something that comes natural. But once you, once I started doing that, I was finding them, you know? And so it's just one of those, one of those things that that works well for, for me, um, you know, and as a general rule, that's what probably the majority of the, of the, you know, I'll say very successful mule deer hunters do, but there are a lot of guys who have figured out ways to, um, cover territory and glass as much as, as possible and move a lot. And they still kill a lot of mule deer. Um, you know, I'm thinking of a couple of friends in particular that do that. And it's just, a you know, there are, you know, I mean, the key obviously is picking apart country with your glass, but the sheer volume and knowing when to look where is is always going to be key. Oh, man, and knowing uh, when to move, too, because there is mm-hmm. a time to move when you've seen everything, you know, in your view that, that, you know, it's time to move on and go get a different vantage point or go find a different spot. And sometimes moving through country and glassing like a mobile vantage point works well, but I'm with you. I really like to sit down and pick it apart, and, mm-hmm. and I'm still learning those lessons. I've been hunting mule deer for 20 years, and, and even this last weekend out glassing, like just taking that – you know, I can pan over everything with my binos and get a pretty good feel for what's there, but even taking that extra step of getting the scope out or sitting mm-hmm. on that vantage point for that extra 30 minutes, 45 minutes yep. in catching those deer moving through cover or moving through areas or showing themselves, it just pays yeah. huge dividends. Well, that's – this year I was kind of – so it's kind of funny. I keep drawing this elk tag, and it's a, it's a, it's a pretty good elk tag. And so it, it keeps killing my, cause the archery hunt in this particular unit for elk is a really good archery hunt. So it keeps killing, you know, I have this, you know, immaculate plan every year that I'm going to go spend a ton of time over in region G and H because man, I can get that tag every single year. And, you know, this year I didn't have super high expectations for what I would see over there, but I drew this elk tag again. So it really cut down my opportunity to go. I, I, 
like, I'll be the first to admit, I rarely go on opening weekend or opening day for that matter for mule deer over there. Cause it, it can be a circus, but I've got a few spots that don't have a, a, a ton of people. Um, it's kind of a benefit of growing up an hour and a half from that area. Um, you kind of know, you know, where there are going to be fewer people on opening day. It also usually means fewer deer just to be, be candid. Um, but like I got socked in on opening morning, like, and those of you who watched the, the Instagram story that we did, will you know, probably vividly remember the pictures. Like I couldn't see 35, 40 yards. And plus I've gotten rained in like crazy on the way in. And so I was drying out some clothes and some different things like that. Um, but you know, you get, Ike has these things called sucker holes where, you know, you don't want to move just because you think the storm is breaking up. It's actually just a sucker hole where, you know, a little, little finger of clouds opened up because something got stuck on the mountain and everybody runs out and thinks they're going to see something. Um, well, I learned to, I learned to glass small. I like to pick these big glassing points where I can just cover a ton of country with, with the glass. Um, especially on, you know, when I haven't had a, had a lot of time to scout, that tends to be your most effective way of just finding what deer are in your region. Well, this year I couldn't do that cause I was socked in and you know, the, every time a sucker hole opened up, I had one strip of timber I could look at. And so I, man, I picked that timber apart and. Um, you know, I found some does in there and then I had to go look at, a, you know, as things opened up, I went and looked at a couple other pieces that opened, but the, the one basin I wanted to see, um, didn't open up until the, the, the day after opening day. And I, I got there for my last little bit and missed a big deer in there because I broke one of my cardinal rules. Um, you know, I didn't, like, I didn't glass my way in. Usually I slow down enough and glass you know, especially in season, that's really important. Um, and I, I broke a cardinal rule, you know, but it's one of those, it's a learning thing that that buck will be there next year and I'm, I'm going to go try and kill him, but I'm going to go find him first this time. Hopefully I'll have time to scout him. So, man, that's so important. What you're saying, uh, glass your way in and we all get caught in this. Um, nothing's worse than, than charging into a basin or charging to that master vantage point, skylining mm-hmm. yourself out and blowing up the drainage or busting a big buck or deer, whatever it is, before you ever get the chance to pick it apart. Like you, yeah. you really gotta, you gotta hunt to your vantage point and hunt your way in. Like you're saying, like even when you get, want to get to a little ledge and look off and you can see more of the country, like glass, everything that exposes itself to you, like every step you take, take two steps, mm-hmm. pick mm-hmm. apart that top end of the drainage, what you can see right there, and then take two more instead of rushing that 10 steps to get to the edge where you can see everything. So many times I give myself away, end up blowing up the drainage just because I didn't take my time and hunt my way in. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's a, uh, this, this particular situation, I got so focused on got to get to that last, that, that um, basin. I haven't been able to look at, you know, I, I've been sitting there impatiently waiting for two days to go look at this, um, at this basin. Um, it's just like, I wanted to be there. It was the most productive basin in the area. And I had, a, a about a mile and a half to get there. Like I'd strategically placed my camp where I could access about three different basins in a, in a very short hike. So, you know, I know, you know, I know my pace uphill in about 20 minutes. I can get about a mile. Um, and in, you know, in flat ground, it's usually takes me about 15 
to to cover it, you know, and so I I knew how much daylight I had left, and it was kind of my last night, you know, my last evening hunt. So I was in a in a hurry um, to do that. So it was just something that was very very um, you know very important mentally for me to um, to do that, and like the you know the deer like crossed right in front of me in a rock slide you know i spotted him about 250 yards out and like it was one of those situations i i knew it was i knew it was a good buck and i laid down but i was laying in a rock slide you know so i wasn't comfortable and if i had a glass there were other places i easily could have shot him from and just found him in the rock slide bedded down you know it's one of those so you know i really I really hurt my opportunity to do that, and that's important. It's a, um, it's a very, it's a very big deal to do that, you know. So, um, it's just one of those learning lessons that, you know, I'm sure everybody's laughing and chuckling at. Man, that that guy uh, screwed that up, you know. But it's a lesson we've all learned. Um, but it's worth, you know, it's worth repeating so that somebody actually can learn from that and see that, you know, what these mistakes do happen. Oh, constantly. And we're, we're always learning and evolving and getting better. And, you know, to, to kill a buck like that, you got to do everything a hundred percent right. And yep. he's probably got to do something a little wrong too. So yeah, you're just not going to win every time. And I mean, I'm, I'm still making the same mistakes with my bow and you try to learn from them and get better. But yeah, I get like a lot of times when I'm coming over a hill, I get hyper focused on the spot where I know that bull is or where I know that buck is. And, uh, Dalton was my cameraman for this elk hunt this year and he's a, a good friend of yours or you helped mentor him when he was younger, you know, and so you guys know each other really well and, um, but yeah, I, we spotted this bull and I spotted this bull bedded down in these thick trees. And we had a perfect approach, a great wind. Um, we moved in, uh, super silent as we moved in. And as we got close, we started coming over and I was just hyper focused at where that bull's location was in that timber. And he was bedded, good wind mm-hmm. snuck over. And then all of a sudden I hear Dalton behind me, Hey, there's your bull. He's right up there to your left. And I, I just wasn't panning to the left and panning to the right. And it wasn't our bull. It was another bull that had been bedded in that thick timber that we hadn't picked out. But I was so hyper focused on where that bull was that I, I came over and exposed myself to this other bull. He ended up spooking out of the drainage. The other bull got up at 70 yards and it blew up our whole scenario just because I was so focused at where that elk was, where I really need to just take a step and then pan to the left and pan to the right because you never know when there's going to be another bull standing there or another buck or a doe or that that animal that you're after has moved positions and it it's so tough when you're coming over the top because you are exposing yourself but you know i there i made that mistake again and had to learn the lesson the hard way and now i'll have to remember it the next time you know but that's just hunting you're just always learning yep absolutely yep so you had a good elk hunt you um oh man you so. you um, hunted with uh, Brandon Mason in the office. I was talking to him about the elk hunt. It sounds like you guys had a good time in there with your bows, and then um, you were successful later on. So, all right. So he and I, like, he's gone for three weeks to Alaska, and so the area that we're hunting is, like, it is advisable to um, – you can pack an elk out of there, you know, if you got enough guys – um, but it is definitely not a hunt that you, um, 
you want to do without access to horses. It's just big country. And so it makes life so, 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 so much easier if you can get, get a buddy to come in, pack you in and out. Well, Ike was, uh, was good enough to pack us in and, uh, he left us to, um, you know, in, in the middle of grizzly bear country. And, um, man, when we were riding in, we saw elk before, um, before we even got, I don't know, like two and a half, three miles in. Um, and so Brandon and I stopped and we found a bull. We, we nicknamed him the trident bull cause he actually had nine on one side and it looked like a trident on the one. Um, so about a three twenty frame with all those extras. So, a a solid 340 type bull with you know 340 gross um and so definitely a bull anybody would be happy with and he would have looked really cool up on the wall um so we found him and like but we were archery hunting so you know if we'd had if it were rifle season we were 300 yards from him and we could see him in the trees and um he was working some cows and there was another bull we never got a good look at actually until opening day of rifle and he was a 350 bull so two mature bulls in, in in one hillside but um our region got so much snow that it it triggered the migration in september and that normally doesn't happen usually till about now you know we're recording this real early november and so the snow doesn't get deep enough that the elk start moving out until that that much later and man it was um there were a lot of elk bunched in one area. Um, we didn't have any interactions with them, but we heard there were a lot of grizzly bears in the area from other people, um, just because the grizzly bears were following the, the elk, looking for elk that were going to die on the migration route, you know, just easy pickings. And so we've got all these elk in the same area, and I actually, man, I, I am definitely laying it all out there that I, uh, I had my season of misses this year. <laughs> um Cause I mean, I missed a really good mule deer and then, um, Brandon and I are, we're on this like little rock outcropping and we, um, we're glassing an area that, that functions as a, as a funnel for all these elk. And lo and behold, there's this 320 bull about 300 yards from us. And he's pushing seven cows, uh, straight down the funnel towards us. And we see he kind of hooks towards us like, all right, this is going to happen. Like, um, and I'll be, I'll be honest, you know, I don't know that you and I've ever talked elk calling, um, but I'm not much of a caller. Like I used to, when I first started archery hunting, call, 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 call. You think that's what you're supposed to do. And when, when now I've gotten to this point where like every successful archery hunter, I know one that kills, um, kills a bull elk, they intercept. Um, and if they do call, they wait till they're right in the bull's kitchen to really, you know, really tick them off from a, a bugle standpoint or when it's actually going to make a difference that you're right there in their territory for, for a cow call. Because um, you're not going to get a, a mature bull to leave their harem, you know, with a cow call from 500 yards away. This is not going to happen. Um, and so we like, we can intercept these guys. They're just coming straight down this trail. And so Brandon circles around real big, and I figure, you know, he's helped me pack two elk out of this area when he didn't have a tag. So I thought I'll set him up for the the good spot because they were hugging the trees. Well, 
as they were coming up the hill towards us, because we had this hill that they were like, they followed the trail, but I figured they'd hug the trees like what we'd seen another group of elk do. So I sent Brandon over to the trees thinking perfect spot. And you know, the wind is blowing like away from us and you know, he's going to get a shot. I didn't think I was going to be the one that get a shot. Well, I hear this bull bugle right next to me. And then, then I see a little head pop out. I'm, I'm right behind this rock and arrow knocked and I'd ranged all these rocks in the field. And so he, all these elk just pop out right in front of me. And then I feel the wind shifts. Like it's this little shift in the wind and it hits the back of my neck. And I see the cow and a spike go on alert and he stands there and bugles. And when he bugles is when I draw um, just cause you know, he's preoccupied at that moment. And so I draw and I get lined up and let it go. But I was shocked they were that close. Like I was really expecting them to hug the trees, which were about 80, 85 from me, um, and be closer to Brandon. And sure enough, he, he showed up right in front of me. I drew and I got lined out. Only thing I don't remember doing, like as far as my, you know, my routine for shooting is is opening up my hand a little bit but i had i had gloves on because it, it was cold you know obviously there was a ton of snow pushing elk out and so i missed just shot right underneath him i watched my arrow go right underneath the wheelhouse you know like literally um literally a few inches from um from front legs and go right into the ground and so i don't know if i jerked or if i you know just didn't didn't complete my you know complete the whole like pull set you know anchors all of you know all of what i'm used to practicing and so i put it right underneath him but then he runs straight to brandon and he stood there for 30 yards like in front of brandon and i because i bugled immediately after i missed um because i figured okay well maybe brandon will get a shot if he's if they're all running by one of the cows ran 10 yards past him that bull hung out at 30 yards and um stood broadside from brandon twice well both times he managed to uh put sticks right in front of his vital areas and so all that just to say brandon um brandon was like man that was a dead bull walking he didn't even know it you know and so and that's the, that's the story of my miss and then the next day the same bull showed up a hundred yards from our camp pushing a group of cows um, and so Brandon was a hundred yards from him. I like, I had left my bow sitting by the tent cause we were, you know, you're in grizzly country, so you're eating far away. And so I had left my bow at the tent cause I was doing some different things. And, um, Brandon was able to sneak past the tent, grab his and go. And I kind of circled a- a- away so I could be in a position to call, you know, under a hundred yards, I was going to try and bugle to him and really tick him off and walk him right past Brandon. Well, um, again, we got beat by the wind, the wind shifted real hard and they took off, but they didn't, they didn't bolt out of the country, but they, you know, they definitely took off. And so that was the two most exciting moments. Our opening morning of rifle was kind of a circus. I'd never heard anything quite that crazy. Um, in all my life with the general unit. So it was, that was, a uh, that was, that was how the archery hunt went. I mean, we came out opening day of rifle just because of just so many people where we happened to be, but all the elk were concentrated in one spot. And I heard reports that some of our area had hip deep snow clear up top where a lot of the horse guys used to go. And so no elk are going to be up there yet. You know, just kind of how that goes.
Oh man, sounds like you guys had a thrilling hunt in there, though. Some close encounters. Uh, that's that's what all the efforts for. That's I always say that's uh, worth the price of admission when you get in there and you have that excitement like that and chasing around. Um, man, that bull was sure lucky. Uh, missed by you, and then thirty yards from Brandon with some sticks <laughs> in the way. And, and Brandon doesn't miss at thirty yards. Like I've shot my bow enough with him that you know he's. He's unique. I, well, I shouldn't say unique because I know there are other guys out there that do that. He grew up shooting a traditional bow, and so he like he's very good at open sights, and he's comfortable not using a sight on his bow. And so, you know, having shot with him quite regularly, it's one of those things that that bull was a lucky man, um, you know. But just to kind of put it in perspective, like. The, when he bugled at me, like that close range, it gave me goosebumps, you know, because he was so close. Like, oh man, this is gonna happen. And then the the terrible letdown of missing, you know, it's just one of those. What do you do? You know, it, it happens. I know you you wrote a couple pieces on recovering after the miss, if I remember right. Yeah, um, it's tough. It takes you from your highest high to your lowest low mentally, doesn't it? Like you working so hard to get that opportunity and you get the shot that you know you can make 99 out of 100 mm-hmm. times and then you, you duff it. And then when you can't figure out what you did either, like, uh, was it your grip? Was I, did I not settle my pin? Mm-hmm. Was it a different distance? But, but yeah, missing isn't easy, but it, it happens to us all. Yeah, I'm, yep. I'm yet to have an absolute perfect season where I didn't have to put two arrows in an animal or I didn't have a miss or I didn't have something. Mm-hmm. You know, and every year I strive for that perfect season yeah. and it, it just tends to get away from me every year. I seem like I, I get a miss or something happens, but it, it's just Western hunting with a bow. It's so difficult. You know, you're going to mm-hmm. fail and, and you just hope you don't fail on the trident bull, but we've all been there. <laughs> oh yeah well and i think I'm, I'm pretty sure we found the trident bull on opening morning and i was kind of you know a little a little disappointed and in, in you know there were some hunters that saw us hiking up the hill or heading towards him um they were on horses and they they definitely raced us there um and we stopped because we were kind of in a funnel point where we thought these elk were going to get pushed down from some other hunters and so we were a little we're just a little disappointed in, in the, the sportsmanship of it. Um, you know, that was, that one was, that one was a little tough to deal with. Um, you know, just, it is what it is, but I was just, you know, what do you do? You know, that's, that's, that's public land hunting and not everyone's going to share exactly the same values you do. And in knowing that you have to deal accordingly, we decided that, you know what, we would rather come back in later, um, you know, later in the rifle season when there are going to be fewer people in here. And then, you know, on another note, you know, it's when there's that many out concentrated in one place where um, they're just getting the tar shot out of them. Man, that's tough to watch. Like, it's, you're not, I don't want to say you're not hunting. It's more a shooting gallery. Um, and, you know, everybody's going to take their opportunity out of bull. But that's those situations where it's not, um, it doesn't feel like you're outsmarting the animal. It feels like you're, um, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's just kind of tough sometimes. So we we're like, you know what? We can come back in later. There are going to be more elk moving in and we can, um, we can have a good hunt at a different point. So that was a decision we made, you know, on opening morning of rifle that with the number of just sheer number of people we saw in there, that that's what we were going to do. So it's kind of how that played out. 
Yeah, um, yeah, I don't have many things that really bug me to my core or pet peeves, but um, guys that are trying to race you to animals is one of mine. And, you know, it's um, if if somebody's in the lead position or on those animals, and like you say, it's all public land. We're all out for the same goal. There's mm-hmm. elk up there. You know, you got to go get into elk. But if somebody's in front of me, like, I just let them have it. If I see somebody that's on them in a better position, like, I don't want to screw them up. And, and it's not – I'm not going to enjoy the experience. I don't want to get up there and yeah. mix it up with somebody else. I'd rather just walk the other way, let them have it, and go find some different elk yeah. or find a different place to hunt there. But but not everybody sees it that way. And we had the same thing this bow season, too, where we we were hunting these elk. Same thing over here. We got the snow. Mm-hmm. The feed burned off. Uh, you know, We didn't get much, much moisture in late July and August. And so those elk piled out like it was November on these faces. Mm-hmm. And so we glassed up, and we got plays on some bulls on the faces. Didn't have anybody up there. And then one day we saw a bull like up on this spot we call the trap and so we started heading up there and we spotted him from a ways away early in the afternoon we spotted him from the highway like three four miles away and then but you got to hike you got to go gain 1500 feet elevation 2000 feet elevation and go get where they are and we were just going for an evening hunt but we drove up there started heading in for those elk and i don't know if somebody Mm -hmm. saw us heading up there or saw those elk but yeah a guy just started racing right behind us and it's like we were in the lead position and had a good half mile head start on them a good 500 feet thousand feet of elevation but you almost don't hunt the same because you've got this pressure behind you now you're you're trying to race to get it done and it's exactly there was plenty of elk up there on the hill and like we all just got to give each other respect while we're in there and if you see somebody in front of you or even if i see somebody making the same hunt i want to make and i know there's elk in there I'll just go to a different place. I'll just go find a different spot where I can enjoy yep. my experience. And and most guys, I think, do practice that. You know, there's just a handful of guys that, you know, when they get caught up in trying to kill a bull and, yeah. and what, you know, and they almost lose sight of it. It's it's more about the experience than actually killing that bull. You know, it seems to me anyways. It, that's just my guess at it. But it, And, you know, it's it's tough because there's lots of, Lots of opportunities to um, to kill big bulls, you know, and, and I don't say that lightly. I know how hard it is in a general area. I'm not being facetious, you know. I know how hard it is in a general unit to kill um, consistently a big bull. Um, I, you know, all I'll be I'll be candid. All of my big animals have come from, or big bulls have come from limited quota areas, and that's just it's just part of the experience that, you know, when you, there's that many animals in a general area, like it's okay. I know I can find some more. Um, and you know, it's, it's hard to watch people. Um, people put so much emphasis that, you know, I have to get my kill, man. I, I just have to get this, this, like, there's a lot of things that you can get yourself worth from in life. Um, Killing animals, I don't believe, should be one of them. <laughs> um, don't get me wrong; it's a huge part of my life. I live in Wyoming for a reason, um, you know, hunting being one of them, and you know, it's a it's a huge part of that. But if you know, if at the end of the day, if I don't like myself for the way I behaved in the field, um, it's not worth it. No, uh, well, like um, 
you know, I'm not going to jump outside the truck and shoot something with a bone. Exactly. I don't care if it's a 200-inch muley or a 400-inch bull. I just won't do it. It's just uh, it's not the experience I want. It's not the experience I want to remember, and it's not me versus the animals, like, testing myself. And, and you're right. Like, hunting is such a, a huge part of my life, and I do set goals, and I am driven. Like, that is my test, but I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to – I'm not going to bend on my on my ethics or I'm not going to bend mm-hmm. on my experience to try to kill something and I'm in Exactly. Like you said I'm I'm not going to be happy with myself in the end. And so, you know, and everybody has to draw that line. Like you show up at a trailhead, very rarely are you the only guy there. You've got to yep. go up the same trails as other guys. You've got to go into the same general areas. But if I see elk and I see somebody on them or if I see a deer and I see somebody on them, exactly. I'm going to go the other way or if I run into guys, like I'm going to have a discussion about it like um here this this is what i was planning to do or hey what are you planning to do so we can head off in different directions and not mess up each other's experience and Mm -hmm. like we've got these spots here in my valley where guys kill some big bulls and i heard a one big one getting killed today and we got a big snow last night and it pushed a lot of these elk down in the flats and these elk in the flats there's so many truck hunters that are driving these roads in these flats looking to catch these things and it just it's not hunting to me i mean they're just catching them in these flats and there's a mm-hmm. line of trucks and they're chasing them into guys and it's man it's not what you want to see as a hunter you know and i know that they eat the meat and they they're looking for a harvest and not everybody can get to the mountains and so you know it it's tough and i don't want to pass judgment on everybody but i know of a great big bull that was killed this morning you know 3 miles into the flat in the wide open crossing some state land and i'd venture to guess there was probably 20 different guys on it with different yeah. trucks and vehicles and shooting in unsafe scenarios like they've got to close that down around here you know it's dangerous and you know i know some places when these situations happen they set up um some different like permitting processes in wyoming in the past i know they've done it where like there were um a lot of ranches before they had the feed grounds in western wyoming would would open up their um their areas for cow tags occasionally a bull tag um, they didn't necessarily manage it to to have bulls get hunted late season is why they didn't do that more often. But if there were only bulls hanging out on a ranch, which I know of one rancher who, who he just had the worst luck. He always had bulls show up on his property. That's just, that was just his lot in life. And um, so they would let, you know, you go hunt bulls on his place. And he wanted the older bulls taken. But there there was a permitting process. You had to go, you know, stand in line, get a permit to go hunt the, this land. And that was your that's when you got your tag, you know. Um, but now they do so much of it online. It's um, quite a different process for that. But these feed ground type of hunts, um, you know, that happen around like feed grounds, lowlands, like because Montana has a whole lot more, um, I guess I'll say lowland winter range than what Wyoming does. Wyoming has a lot of the desert, you know, but like what you've got in Montana there with like that breaks country and the low hills and where, where those where the animals end up, um, man, that that's a it's just a it's it can be hard on the elk, especially with these later season hunts. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I know when we get big snows, if those elk come down, 
yeah, they pummel them on some of these lowland spots. And, and, uh, you know, and I got to be careful too. Like, uh, everybody enjoys hunting for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And some guys like to be warm in their truck seat and, and, uh, go drive yep. around and glass around and, yep. and just enjoy being out. And they don't have to kill something. And if they bump into yep. something, great. And so, you know, I have to be careful too, because, you know, we want to make sure that as yeah, hunters, no. we stick together, you know, and I, and I, I catch myself in this trap as well, like being a bow hunter mm-hmm. when I, see a rifle killed animal it'd be easy for me to say and in my younger days say oh well i didn't get it with a bow but i gotta be happy for everybody in their harvest whether they kill it with a rifle a bow traditional you know it's all difficult out there and, and some guys get lucky and bump into things other guys get private ground but you know, if somebody offered me great private ground to go hunt elk on, I'd probably take them up on it, you know, because yep. it's really good hunting in there. And so I got to be really careful that I don't pass judgment and that I'm happy for everybody in their harvest and, and just that we keep together as hunters and support each other, you know. And, and I like to hunt with a bow. Other guys like to hunt with trad gear. And so they could tell me that, you know, it, it's not a, 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 a you know, a as much of a accomplishment as what they do because I've got wheels on my bow. So, you know, it, it can go all different ways, but you just have to be happy for everybody and happy we're all hunters and try to stick together and try to respect each other for the most part, you know? I I think, you know, where my line kind of is, is once once we get into the ethical situation, and what I mean by, by that is, you know, like our, our tagline for Eastman's Hunting TV has been, um, fair chase, you know, like remember fair chase is the only way to hunt and take trophy big game animals. And a lot of those, those ethics lines, like what it, what it comes down to is there are a lot of things that can, you know, actually I just wrote an article on this on the blog. Um, it's called arming the choir. Um, Ike and I talked about how a lot of times we write these poaching pieces and we realized that we were preaching to the choir. Um, and through that conversation, we, you know, I happened to watch the, you know, the, you know, the, the elk foundation has put out a whole slew of, um, information about how hunting is conservation in different States. And so the whole premise of this article was that we've got to arm the choir with stats, um, things that we do that are healthy, that help. Um, and those are the things that are going to make a difference in the long run, um, for, you know, for our lifestyle, um, we live a, a Western hunting lifestyle. Um, you know, my, my wife grew up in the South and she's like, I hunting to me was just something that, you know, like people went and sat in a deer stand or they shot, you know, they shot a few ducks a couple times a year. It was never um, a lifestyle like what you and your friends have made it. And, you know, I imagine there's a lot of people in the South that it is a lifestyle, but her perception you know, changed when she, um, when she met me of what, you know, what hunting was, um, and, you know, obviously is to me. And so those are the people that were changing their perception. She now loves to cook elk. Like, it's kind of funny when we have, um, we eat so much elk that beef is, is different tasting when we have it, we can tell when we're having it. And, um, you know, even from a burger standpoint, but, you know, like at our church potlucks, so many people are hunters that, you know, you kind of just expect you're eating elk there. You can tell when it's not, you know, when it's something that was, um, that was store bought, you just develop this palate for it. And so she's really enjoyed learning how to cook it. And, you know, now that she understands how conservation works, that we're the ones that, you know, we footed the bill for this, you know, this 
this well i'll say rise in um in number of animals since the turn of the century and so you know we're we're vested in this we're vested in the lifestyle and these facts that the elk foundation put out make a huge difference they they are things that the non-hunting public that um, really doesn't have an opinion on it they don't really care but they're the ones that will make the decisions um, through their votes. When they know these facts about what we do and how much we actually care about the animals, it makes a difference. And that's why, you know, I think when you know, when we talk about not having um, not having a judgmental attitude, that's really easy to get because I get it too. Like Brian, I'm as guilty as the next guy of getting that. Um, I think that's something that's very important for us to have is these facts that will that will arm you know, arm the choir. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, you're so right that, that we love it and we, you know, we've, we've got to, we've got to reflect it in a positive light too. Whenever mm-hmm. we're talking about hunting or I know like with my photos, I'm always trying to represent hunting well, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I do. I, I, uh, America, you know, we have such a, um, you know, we've set the standard for what you can do, you know, with, with your wildlife and how you can yep. manage it. And we have, we've managed it to success. And, and, uh, you just want to reflect that in a positive light and not reflect it negatively. And, and I think as long as guys, you know, are following the rules and taking lawful animals, you have to be there to, to support them and say congratulations and, oh. and not be too judgmental on them. Um, you know, the, the other way, if they're not being ethical and not representing yep. hunting in the right way, I think that is where you can start to pass judgment and go, you know, that guy's cheating or he's yep. not doing it right or, you know, or, you know, maybe he is following the rules, but, but he's not respecting other hunters out there and he's just yep. not representing it positively. And so I think exactly. you're right. That's where you have to draw the line, um, in, in hunting, uh, uh, what you support and what you don't. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree um, with that statement. And I think that's why, you know, you know, getting back to the, you know, our tagline at the end is, is fair chase. You know, that's, that's what reflects hunting in a positive light. Um, you know, I think of several practices I know that happen, um, not legal in Wyoming, but several practices that happen. Um, and you know, those don't paint us in a positive light. Um, and that's why fair chase is so important to recognize and look at and um, and talk about. It's it's a big deal to be fair chase. Um, you know, it's 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 not something that enters the conversation a lot anymore because um, we're part of it is we're we're so worried about offending people as a whole. Um, but when you arm people with facts about what hunting actually does, and then when you look at um, you know, doing this in an ethical way, like you're, you, like you talk about with your pictures, you know, like we can't, we don't put pictures in the magazine of like an elk that's just absolutely covered in blood because it, you know, got shot, shot in the jugular. Um, we can't do that. You can't Photoshop that out. You know, that there's certain things you just can't fix, but we don't do that because we, that's not the, that's not who we are. Like as hunters, um, they probably, they were probably excited to see the elk, you know, that they just shot and yes, shot it, shot in the neck and jugular. It, it happens. It's part of hunting. Okay. Um, blood, blood and what happens there is, is part of it, but it's not something that again, that non hunting public that, um, that will be making decisions for us through their votes. That's not, 
that's not the image you want them having when they go into the voting block and they, you know, it's a, you know, one, you've got two candidates, one who's anti-hunting and one who isn't. Um, so you want the image that's going to, sh- going to show us in a positive light. And that's one of the reasons we're so, you know, we're so big on making sure the pictures that end up in the magazine are, are clean. Yeah, um, you're so right. So when you talk about that, Scott, you talk about um, hunters were not a, a, a big enough pool to, to make a difference when it comes to voting hunting versus non-hunting. And so what you're talking about is representing hunters in that positive light. And so people that don't hunt, which are you know 80% of the population, or you know, I don't know the exact statistics, but those are the people that are going to make the decision whether we close down certain parts of hunting or certain weapons, or you know they're going to yep. be the ones that vote for it. And so if we're representing hunting negatively, like uh, the majority of those people are going to vote accordingly. If we, you know, like I know yep. a lot of people that that support hunting and support me that don't hunt, but they just see what I do and, and what it means yep. to me and bringing home good organic protein to my family. And so all of a sudden, these people that don't hunt see it represented in a, a positive light. And, and and so they support me and support hunting. And therefore, when they go to vote, they support hunting, you know, in a fair chase standard, you know. So, yeah, you're yep. right. We just got to represent it as, as best as we can. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's definitely like when we say, you know, we kind of had an idea like talking about some banter back and forth for this podcast. And we talked about our pet peeves, not representing hunting well is definitely one that's a pet peeve to me. Um, you know, like, for instance, the leaving the antelope head in the back of your flatbed truck for two weeks. So every single person sees it in town. That one. That one kind of drives me nuts. That definitely does not paint hunting in a in a strong enough um, strong enough light. You know, take it home, boil it, make a euro, stick it up on your wall so you can enjoy it there. And when people come in and see it, that's you know that's how you share it. Um, you know, leaving it in the bed of your truck, which I've seen done, you know, is not not a good thing. So yeah, um, well, another one of mine on antelope and. And I'm not sure where this falls on the on the law side of things, but this definitely falls in the fair chase. One thing that drives me nuts is I have so such an appreciation for antelope and and uh, their eyesight and just their instincts, and they are so tough to to harvest with a bow and arrow. You know, and I spot and stalk them, and and nothing against blinds. Blinds is playing into an yeah. antelope's weakness rather than their strong suit, where I'm playing into their strong suit. So you know, anybody that kills one out of a blind, I think that's great. And there's a lot of thinking that goes into setting that blind like i've tried to do it before with my kids and trying to set up on fence crossings and water holes and it isn't easy out there you think you're just going to set up a blind they're going to walk up but one of the things that drives me nuts with antelope is a lot of the ones that are killed around here are killed out of somebody's sliding glass door window outside their house now that drives me nuts yeah um in these developments in here in these lowlands these antelope will walk through now it might be legal but it definitely isn't fair chase and it's these antelope are intelligent and the minute you try to get camo on and go sneak out in the field and try to kill one they're gonna spot you coming nine times out of ten but you know for some reason around your house they feel safe and they'll kind of walk around and so for the last 10 years i have heard of all these antelope that get killed out of the sliding glass door window of the house (laughs) that drives me crazy you know it's just not you're not out hunting like what kind of experience are you getting now i know antelope Uh eat well you know and they uh, a lot of people like to eat them around here and so maybe it's just part of the harvest and they're not looking for the experience and you know i don't think they're breaking any laws but that is one thing that does drive me nuts 
<laughs> yeah, I that one baffles me. Um, but I mean, I've definitely heard of people setting up like you know, in different areas of the country, like they've got blinds in different places, you know, and like they can turn them almost into, um, how do you say it? Like <laughs> old, um, old campers in the blinds. I mean, I'm sure we've all seen that episode of dynasty where they did that, you know, turned an old camper into a blind, but you know, it's just out of your, out of your back kitchen window. Um, that's interesting um, for a big game. <laughs> now, I have to admit, Brian, I may or may not have shot some gophers um, from a window with my bow. <laughs> Just, <laughs> you, you know, full disclosure, since I need to, I feel like I need to bear my soul since this is your, um, you know, A, your podcast, and B, uh, it's a. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, your your annoyance on that one. <laughs> well, well, I don't draw the line there. And where do you draw the line? Because a lot of times old homesteads can be um, mm-hmm. blinds for antelope. And, yeah. and sometimes, you, you know, you are using like I know I've been on land where there's an old truck or maybe a old wheel to a, uh, you know, to a pivot or something like that, that you kind of yeah. use to hide behind to get close or maybe a silo that you put in between you and them. So where do you draw the line? I guess as long yeah. as it's legal, you have to support them and, you know, uh, maybe they didn't get the best experience, but maybe they're just into antelope meat too and getting an antelope down um, with their yeah. bows. So I, I mean, it's tough to judge, but that is one of my pet peeves. One of yours um, came up on one of my Instagram posts <laughs> not too long ago, huh? <laughs> oh man dude like well and it like okay i'll try to be as nice as possible to everyone that i've seen do this because i've and i know it's this feeling where you just killed a big bull like and you're putting it up on your pack or for whatever reason but i just wrote an article about um i'll call it the safest way to pack out elk antlers um and i say the safest because when you put, you know, you think about it, when you put elk antlers straight up into the air, or even deer antlers for that matter, we're wearing camouflage most of the time. Um, and so there are um, a lot of people out there, you know, like who are probably going to line their rifle up on you. doesn't necessarily mean they're going to shoot, um, but they're going to line their rifle up on you if you've got the antlers up. Are you comfortable letting somebody put the antler or put, point their rifle at you? I'm not. It probably happens in the field more than we realize when somebody's, you know, using their um, their their scope to do a little glassing or whatever. Because I've I've seen people do that, you know, just quick throw it up or whatever. But I'm not going to keep it pointed down range at somebody. But if there's a set of antlers going across a ridge line and that's all you can see because they're pointed up. Well, guess what? You just gave a guy a reason to point his rifle at you. We're not even talking about those who, you know, who might sound shoot. I kid you not. I know of a story of a of a guy who was um, he was hunting some thick country, ran into another hunter on a trail, and he asked the other hunter how it was going, and the other hunter's like, "Oh man, I got a good sound shot off today, um, but I, you know, I couldn't find any blood from it." And the, the you know my buddy was like, "What direction are you hunting? I'm going the opposite." Um, you know, like, kid you not, that stuff does happen, you know, and so... That is crazy, Scott. I've never heard of such a thing. Nuts. Sound shooting. Oh, my gosh. That scares the heck out of me. So, like, legitimately, it's, like, 
not everyone carries the same standards that, that you do. And so you want to minimize, minimize um, your opportunities for accidents. Um, cause there is, you know, there's inherent danger in what we do. I mean, let's, let's just be honest, you know, you and I've talked about some of the crazy places we've gone in region G and H and, you know, ropes required to recover a few of the deer if we could have gotten there, you know? And so that's, there's a, there's danger that you, you know, and that you can avoid, but why place yourself in danger because you put your elk antlers on up high so you can get a good skyline selfie. Um, just not worth it to me. Um, you know, and so I will always make sure that, um, that when I put my elk antlers on my pack to pack out, um, for, we'll call it the glory tour, even though it doesn't feel like when you're packing an elk out that there's any glory in what you're doing, you just feel miserable. Um, but it's, you know, you put the, the points faced away from you, obvious reasons. I don't like being impaled. You know, and you can still sometimes maybe impale yourself if you try hard enough, I'm sure, pulling that pack off. Um, but and then you want to make sure that um, that the, the all the points are pointed down, like away from, um, you know, away from your body. And you can read the article um, that we just had an EHJ on, on this where we you know, did some illustrations and showed the proper way to do it. And, you know, and then even better, if you have some orange, um, put it on there. Um, I carry an orange bandana with me all the time. And so I'll definitely put that, you know, over the top of the brow tines that, you know, the brow tines will still stick up a little bit, even though they're upside down. You know, I'm definitely going to put that orange over there if I'm, if I'm hiking out in daylight. I don't, I don't feel like having somebody raise their rifle on me. You know, that's an opportunity to have an accident happen. So. Yeah, um, no, you're absolutely right. Like, and it's the the it's the best way to carry them too. So yeah, you're mm-hmm. talking not carrying the horns up. You're carrying them down, points away from you. I've always yep. done that with elk and deer. It's the safest way to pack them, and it's actually the best way to pack the weight. Sticking them up high, they're gonna try to pull oh, yeah. off your back and go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, and two, like pointed down and away on a pack out on an elk, mule deer, whatever it is, it still makes a heck of a glory shot. Like mm-hmm. I still love the picture of a pack out and you're packing it out right. So yeah, you yeah. you had seen on my Instagram, one of my buddies killed a bull there opening day rifle and, and his horns were pointed <laughs> up and away. And, and they weren't too crazy carried away, but they were definitely pointed up and away. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. That's the safest, best way to carry animals. And I also like your tip about wrapping orange up. I always carry extra mm-hmm. orange with me in case yeah. I leave my pack or my boots. Um, and so I do the same thing. I wrap up those mm-hmm. horns and talk about pet peeves. Having somebody scope you down with their rifle is definitely a pet peeve. I I had oh, yeah. it I had it last year where a guy looked at me. I had orange on. My buddy had orange on, and he threw his scope right at me. And uh, I don't get I don't get too angry too often, but I was mad. I was waving my arms back and forth, and I ended up there was a deer in between us. Like I had gone, mm-hmm. I had seen a buck and made a play for him. And as I was getting close, and I relocated the buck, I saw this guy come over the ridge. He never saw the deer, but he threw up his rifle and looked right at me through the scope. You know, I waved my arms. I was just furious, but I had to just walk away from the scenario and leave him and the deer and go take off over the next range. But nothing worse than that. You know, than somebody looking down their scope at you. God, that drives me yep. nuts. And you know, there's, you know, there's, there are times when you know you like, you don't realize somebody's down the ridge from you or whatever. That happens, but, but when it does, get your scope up as quick as you can. You know, like 
accidental discharges happen all the time. The last thing you want to do is have, you know, at minimum somebody get scared, let alone, um, you know, heaven forbid you hit them, you know, um, from an accidental discharge. And so that's just, for me, that's just a good safety, you know, safety conversation. And so it is, and you're right. It can happen on accident where somebody's looking down a ridge and somebody happens to be down a ridge or something like that. So it's it's not always intentional, but yeah, I I just I think everybody should have a pair of binos around their neck that they're looking at things rather than their rifle scope. That rifle scope seems to be back in the olden days used to look through the the rifle scope to try to pick out deer and try to glass the hillside. Mm-hmm. And I I think we're beyond that now. I think uh you know a, a nice nice pair of mid range binoculars should be around everybody's neck but yeah um that that's one thing that that i definitely don't like to see you know we just all have to work really hard to be safe in the hills there was um there was a guy here that uh they were pouring concrete for me um this company uh high caliber concrete they pour concrete around here but uh one of their workers uh opening day got shot um uh, uh, rifle in the truck, barrel up, must have had one in the chamber, went off, shot through the seat, no. and then got him in the guts right in there. And he's going to be okay and make a full recovery, but accidents do happen out there. And so we just all have to make sure that we're being really safe. And, and also, you know, like when we're mentoring, like I, when I'm mentoring my nephew or my daughters or my wife, you know, when you've got a little bit more knowledge base or even your buddies, if they do something or point that rifle the wrong way, it, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. a chance to call them out on it and go, Hey, watch where you're pointing that thing. And, and especially with young, I'm yep. always checking their safety. I don't let them mm-hmm. carry one in the chamber. It's just, they are live loaded weapons, you know, where accidents can happen which would just be the most horrible thing in the world well and like it can happen even to the best of us i mean um you know todd and i were out together and you know it was one of those that i like you know we got done shooting and i pushed the safety the wrong direction todd immediately caught it pushed it the other way for me because it was right between us you know but it was it you know was it something that um that you know i i would have caught probably i probably would have caught it in a couple minutes but um, you know, it's one of those, we're definitely out, out shooting shotguns, you know, that has to be there and you always have to have, have your, have your buddies back in that regard. And so, you know, even, even the most trained, most, most regular shooters have their moments where something happens. And that's why you always have to be diligent on it. And, um, I would rather, you know, I would rather be safe than, um, than have something happen and have, have someone's you know, life be drastically altered and because of, of a decision that was made that, that I could have prevented, you know, human life is valuable. And I think that's one of those things that, you know, we have to make sure that we, that we deal with properly. So. Oh, and in accident. And and if it was, you know, by a mistake you made or something that you didn't call, it ruined your hunting career. You wouldn't want to be out anymore. And accidents can happen with a bow too. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not just rifle out there. You got to make sure that people aren't knocked up walking behind you. Um, You got to make sure that that people are being careful with their broadheads when they're out. Um, You know, accidents can happen with a bow too. Those things are sharp. I, I remember hearing a story I can't remember exactly how it went, but where a guy fell off the horse and then stabbed that broadhead through his thigh somehow up and through there. Oh, man, I can't imagine. Those things are so sharp. 
Um, so, you know, you have to be careful with the bow, too. Another one is when you're hunting with buddies and the guy in the back's the shooter and the guy in the front and that animal comes up. Like, you got to make sure mm-hmm. you're being really safe in that scenario. Oh, yeah. Drawing back that bow is so much energy, and you just you got to err on the side of caution. It just isn't worth yep. taking a chance for. And so, yeah, you always got to be as absolutely safe as you can be. And there is inherent danger yep. in what we do, but you got to make it as safe as you can and try to take um, as many of those scenarios you know out of the out of the play you know that you can between you and your buddies uh it just isn't worth it yep yeah i wholeheartedly agree yeah so well you got any more hunts coming up (laughs) oh i am i'm going to be in the duck blind um pretty much like i am kind of a todd's todd's cohort on a lot of the content for wingman we're working together on that one um and so i'll be spending a lot of time in the duck blind with him um, I'll probably spend a lot of time filming his his shooting, um, but I'll I'll shoot my fair share of ducks too. But that's mostly what I've got going. Our season is really wound down um, here in Wyoming. I know you're you guys just are getting started for your general um, general stuff in Montana, but I've got one maybe deer hunt next week. With all this snow, we get a migration hunt, but I. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get out for that one quite yet. I'm I'm going to look at my schedule next week and see if I can maybe go um, go and get out for that. But there are occasionally some really big deer that come out of that migration hunt. They're a lot of the the park deer, and so um, you know that's the, that's the only way you get to actually hunt them, you know, and manage their numbers is you know during the you know during the rut. And so we'll see if I have an opportunity to go do that. I sure hope I do. Um, but if I don't, you know, I had to. Like I can't complain because the only reason there's not a deer in my freezer is because, you know, I whiffed on the shot. So I, I don't have a right to gripe about not spending time in the field deer hunting. Yeah, well, and you do have an elk in your freezer. You killed one opening day rifle. I don't think we talked about that, but you you were able to get a nice pull down with your rifle. Well, he was a, he was two weeks after opening day, um, actually, because we had opening day, and then Brandon and I took off, no elk in hand, and then I... I waited till after um, after there's a kind of a second set of tags that opens up later in the year on this particular hunt, and so I waited until after that one was done. Um, no, that opening day was done because I didn't feel like dealing with an additional set of people that were coming in for the first time. And so what I did was I recruited two two friends, um, Luke and Andrew, and they they. <laughs> They are two very tough individuals. Um, you know, three guys, one elk is doable. But we went in incredibly Spartan. Our camp was about four and a half miles in. And um, so I kind of had a limit from camp of where I was willing to shoot an elk. And, of course, the six-by-six six bull that I found was on that limit edge. Um, they, they never seemed to want to be close to me for some reason. <laughs> I think that's my lot in life, that I have to kill elk far away from me. Um, and so... We we climbed this hill. The the hardest part of getting this elk, he wasn't actually like as the crow flies. He wasn't that far from our camp, but as you know, as elevation goes, we had a had a significant distance uphill to go, and so we we climbed that. And um, there were four, four bulls. Three of them were raghorns. One of them was this giant bodied five by five, like biggest bodied five by five I've ever seen. But he didn't carry the mass with him. For me to think, oh man, he's just an old, old bull. It was kind of a, it was kind of a weird thing. Like, are you just like some Hercules teenager? You know, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, and so, uh, Luke and I are, are climbing this ridge. 
we 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 he picks out the bulls first i mean we'd spotted them from across the canyon and we didn't know where they had bedded up and so we're like we really didn't have a choice there was so much snow on the ridge to ridge to the north of us that we couldn't really walk through it and to be underneath we wouldn't be able to see where the bulls would 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 be um bedded you know because we're trying to look into into some trees to find where they're bedded because i shot him at 11 50 in the in the morning um and so he sees this giant five by five laying there and he's broadside to me but i'm not shooting hercule you know with the the tiny antlers that's just not an option and so i you pull out the binoculars and we're only 200 yards away from them mind you at this point and so we start glassing and i find two other bulls bedded the two other smaller raghorns and i but we can't find the six and i'm like he's here he's here he's got to be here but he's he's a bigger bull so he's going to be a little bit further away from these three that are bedded real close this is kind of the um you know kind of just the nature of the way they work and so about 30 yards away from the other three i find this brown patch laying in the trees and i start you know so i pull the spotting scope out and sure enough it's a it's a bull laying there but i can't see his antlers and start picking it apart picking it apart and then i finally see the whale tail like through the trees then he moves his head i I think he'd been sleeping um then he may have had his head laid down so i couldn't see it and so i had about a a two foot by two foot window between some trees where his vitals were exposed like i could actually see like his elbow like the crux of his elbow laying there and so i laid down opened up the opened up the bipod and um you know, just laid there and waited and I got my breathing right. And then I shot him laying in there. And so he got up and moved about 10 feet and kind of stood there sick. And so then I, I hit him one more time and dropped him. And so it worked, um, worked really good. You know, it was a good, um, it was a good clean kill. Um, he was, you know, he was not a, um, not a happy camper after that second, that second hit. And the first one was vitals. It probably actually would have killed him to be, to be, be fair. But I'm a, I'm a firm believer that if he, if they stand up again, you shoot them, you know, you put them, put them down for good. Um, and so that's what, that's what happened. You know, it was a, um, it was a good hunt. And, um, you know, afterwards we went and broke him down as quick as we could because we were in the, we're at the top, getting hammered by hammered by snow, getting hammered by wind. It was pretty pretty brutal, just to be um, just to be fair. But yeah, it's one of those that you know had to do it again. A fourth guy would have been real nice, but you know you don't you don't just bring anybody into your into your honey holes. And so we had a heavy pack out, and I'm sure a few of you saw it in the Instagram story. You know the heavy pack out that we had, and it was fun. It was a good time. Um, it was enjoyable. Not the biggest bull I've ever killed, but he's a six by six on a backpack hunt, and I'm um, I'm really I'm pretty proud of the two guys that came with me and helped me. That was their first experience doing some type of pack out like that. They both packed a lot of meat before, but not quite like that Spartan go in um, and do that. So it was a good experience. So. Yeah, good for you guys. Yeah, congratulations. That's awesome. And and you got the experience you were looking for. It's fun when you're trying to pick them out of the timber like that. Exactly. You know, out of there where they're bedding at and um, looking into that timber and you see a, a side of a horn or a, a leg and you know that six points in there somewhere. But yeah, that exactly. sounds like a cool hunt and broke in those guys right, it sounds like. 
Oh yeah, we did. And, and both of them have said, man, we'd love to do this again. So I did it right. I didn't kill them. Uh, our <laughs> packs, our, our packs were heavy. Like there's no two ways about that, but I oh. didn't kill them. So they're going to come again. Oh man. So. An elk for three guys. Like you say, you can do it. And I've done it before multiple times, but yeah, it's a, uh, you definitely earn them that way. And especially when you're yep. backpacked in there and you're, you're already a few miles back to your camp and then you're, you're at your limit of where you want to shoot it. And that's where you yep. end up killing them seems like those elk are always that way they're always you always see them way off and have to go for them you know it's it is what it is i mean and and this is not the worst pack out i've ever done i should be i should be fairly clear on that it is not the worst pack out i have ever um undertaken or i'm willing to undertake um i but you know like i said a fourth guy would have made life quite a bit more bearable <laughs> it would have made <laughs> but, it more enjoyable huh <laughs> you know or or i would have you know had the opportunity to recruit one of the guys with horses that we saw come in we only saw two other um hunters in this entire area when we were there so i mean that would have been nice as well you know somebody to help help in that regard and i've had horses hunters actually offer to pack my animal out when they're on their way out you know which was beyond nice of them um but it's just one of those, you know, one of those experiences now that I look back at, and it's going to be a fond memory for myself, Luke and Andrew. You know, this wasn't a, um, this hunt was just one that we got to enjoy. You know, I always take a bunch of pictures, and I got pictures for it. You know, but it's not a, um, you know, it's not a hunt that I had to, you know, go in super, you know, you know, like be super prepared, come up with content and some things like that. And, um, in that regard, even though you never really turn that off. Um, but it's one of those, it was really enjoyable to go spend some time with those guys. And, um, like, you know, you've talked about, it's all about the experience and they both got an experience and it was, um, something that we're, you know, we all really enjoyed and, and saw as something that was, you know, just, just a good all around time. Yeah. How cool. Yeah. Good for you guys. Well, um, Scott, thanks a bunch for everything you do for the podcast. I know um, the Wingman stuff that you do too, you and Todd are doing. You guys are doing a great job with all that content at Wingman. Uh, just so impressed, and I like following along on that. And, uh, man, just all you do for Eastman's, and just appreciate your friendship, man. Hey, I appreciate you too, Brian. And uh, maybe I'll get you into the duck blind next time you come down here. That might actually be kind of fun. Oh, yeah, that's a deal. That sounds like a plan for sure. Okay. So, yeah, I'll check in with you here in the next couple of weeks, and uh, we should hook up over there in the office. I want to catch up with everybody, but congrats okay. on your season, and thanks again. Yep, thanks, Brian. We'll talk again soon. Okay. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, got another episode of Eastman's Elevated. Uh, really fun conversation with Scott Reekers, just uh, a couple like-minded hunters, and uh, you know, just an authentic conversation about uh, kind of what bugs us in the industry at different times, and and uh, also you know our thoughts on ethics, and then um, you know just able to recap on a season and hear about a couple misses, and then uh, his connection with that bull. So uh, thanks again to Scott for being on. Our sponsor for today's show is Bloodsport Arrows. Again, just building great arrows with uh, great tolerances as far as uh, weight and straightness. And then their broadheads, I really like their their hybrid grave digger. Uh, and then also just their straight expandable. Uh, they're just building great products, and they've really found a niche in the market. Uh, really impressed by what they're putting out there. So thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Um 
All right. Well, I better get this this podcast out and go hop on my plane a couple hours here and I'll be on a plane and and headed to the Midwest. It's just going to be something different, which is going to be really fun. Um, You know, more of a mental game and sitting in tree stands and um, trying to outsmart a big old bruiser whitetail. And so I know I'll be out there with uh, Clint Casper and try to record a podcast with him. I saw that. Uh, he connected on an antelope uh, on a second trip over here to Montana. I didn't have much to do with it. I was hunting with my daughter that weekend, and uh, he was hunting with my other buddy, um, Dan Heverin. Um, but good on those guys. Good for him getting it done during rifle season with his bow. That's just awesome when that comes together. So we'll talk about that. I'll record one with him and and uh, just go have some fun out there. Um Boy, what a great hunting season. Uh, this this latest rut hunt I had out with family out there and then for myself, what an awesome hunt. So I'm going to sit down and record a podcast about it. And so hopefully I can get that out to you guys next week. And then uh, got good guests lined up. Just going to keep recording and, and uh, keep the hunting conversation going and, and uh, just keep this ball rolling. I want to work really hard now that my season's kind of winding down. I've got this whitetail hunt and then I've got a... Uh, coos deer hunt i'm gonna put together in arizona but other than that coming down to the end and so yeah i'm really fortunate just had a great hunting season spent a lot of time in the hills and had some great successes but i just i just want to work harder uh i just uh i love putting in the hard work and then reaping the benefits when once season's here so um been running the trails like a madman out for a great trail run yesterday and then uh cut some firewood which is always a great lower back workout for me and just um uh, doing my pull-ups and and doing my weight training a lot of kettlebells and then um trail running just keeping after it but i'm gonna ramp up my training here ramp up my mental toughness and then uh, ramp up my hunting as always i'm gonna plan some just awesome adventures for next year so i better get caught up and make some money here at work and uh be putting in some good hours uh, just so I can I can dream big for for next hunting season, uh, but just so much fun being in the hills, trying to locate critters and, and trying to locate animals, helping buddies out, and then uh, making plays those close encounters. I mean, like I say, this last muley hunt, I had a couple of the most epic days rut hunting that I have ever had. I mean, where you see twenty bucks a day and you're just three four different shooters and making play. It was just it was so epic. Uh, so it, it was nice to get a nice heavy buck down with my bow, and um, man, oh man, just so fun. I just keep reliving these experiences, but uh, re- uh, I'm ready to work towards next season, and, and I know you guys are too. I've been seeing some great success you guys have been having, and just want to thank you for all the support, sticking with me. I, you know, I know I had a couple episodes where I was trying to figure that live audio out. Man, that was so frustrating. But I finally got everything dialed in and been putting out some some really high level recordings, you know, or high uh, high you know great quality audio recordings. And so that's my goal. And then the, just these great authentic hunting conversations. Um, so want to get some of the guests that I've had on back on, and then just keep finding uh, new guests to to have authentic hunting conversations with and and get out to you guys. But I'm rambling on. I got to go get on a plane, you guys. Thanks a bunch for all the support, for the iTunes reviews, for the social media follows, both Facebook and Instagram, and supporting the podcast. You guys are the reason that that this thing's work. So uh, thanks for all the support. Uh, Good hunting out there, guys, and I'll check in with you next week.